Welcome to Integral Yoga Podcast, live from Yogaville. Today I'm joined by Barta Wingham, who's a versatile teacher, best known for teaching Lafa Yoga and meditation. And he is also leading an upcoming workshop uh, titled Everything Comes to You, Yoga of Gratitude. Right. So thanks so much for being here, Barta. Appreciate sure. it. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I'd like to jump right in with this question. Okay. What matters to you? Uh, what matters to me is something I learned uh, from The Course of Miracles, which is that every time that I'm upset or um, feel out of sorts in some way or, um, you know, feeling less than what I would used to call 100%, <laughs> it would be um, something that I learned, which is to look for immediately where I went off in my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, where um, the, the way The Course of Miracles states it is... Um, to immediately uh, get back on to the plan of the Holy Spirit, which is forgiveness and love and sharing and cooperation. So anytime I get off of that beam, then now after many years of working with it, I, I can. it's so quick that I can catch it really quick. And I used to think I had to change something outside of me. You know, someone else had to be different or the situation had to be different or... Uh, if I had more of this and less of that, you know, trying to figure out how the circumstances should be, then I could be happy, then I could be free and, and loving and forgiving. Um, but it took many years for me to discover that it's actually the reverse, <laughs> that I have to uh, um, forgive what's what I'm seeing out there rather than trying to change what's out there. So what matters to me is to stay in that state where I see... Um, or the, one way the Course puts it is, I see peace in the world rather than conflict, that rather than uh, upsetting circumstances or people or situations. So that's what matters to me. And when I'm in that state, everything flows, everything flows freely. And uh, that's where I had the idea, basically, that uh, everything comes to us. We don't have to do anything to have things show up for us. We just have to get out of the way and let the things come and then... Uh, as they come in, just accept them, enjoy them, and l- l- release them, and then let, just let the flow continue. So what what gets in the way? Fear. That's the main factor, I think, is fear. And um, fear has many forms. It's not just the feeling of fear, but it, fear is a basic state of separation. It's when we get, <clears throat> when I feel I'm separate from the whole, that somehow I've singled myself out in some way, become sort of a... Uh, an individual in a, in a negative way, meaning that I feel separate from other people, I feel separate from situations, I feel separate from my good, my hope, my happiness. Once I feel that separation, then fear is automatic. You know, it just it comes in immediately. So the fear can take the form of anger, frustration, anxiety, worry, um, uh, you know, lock, uh, lack or limitation, loss, things like that. And it can come in really quick. Very quick. Right? You're in a peaceful state. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, before you even know it, there's some some fear. Yeah. Um, so this awareness, I think, that you're talking about when you go off track. Right. Becoming aware of it is so subtle. Yeah. Right? Does it require a certain uh, kind of an objective view of the self to, to not take it personally? Um because if you're taking it personally and there's ego involved, mm-hmm. then maybe you want to avoid the fact that you even got off track mm-hmm. to begin with, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, okay, I'm a human being. I went off track. There's no problem. Now I can come back. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what the uh, ego is. It is that sense of separation. It is that sense of a separate self from everything else and everyone else. So the mind, it works so quickly, we have no concept of what's going on in our mind. We have a surface under, you know, we can see it surf on the surface, but deeper into our mind, there are things happening, decisions being made we're not aware of. And sometimes it takes a long time to even get aware of them. So uh, when you say it's, it's instantaneous, it really is something we can be feeling totally in the flow. Feel, uh, I can feel totally accepting, loving, uh, peaceful. And then just something happens. And sometimes I don't even know what it is. It wasn't something happened out in the world. It was a thought that flashed through my mind that I wasn't aware of at that moment that it happened. Uh, so that's where I have to stop, uh, sometimes physically if I can. If I can't, then I have to uh, do it in my mind. I have to stop the flow, the stream, and look back. Where did I? Where did that happen? You know, how did I get into the state where I lost my peace? And it, inevitably, every single time, it's some thought flashed through my head. And if I can catch it, then I can dismiss it. If I can't catch it, it becomes unconscious and it runs me rather than me having any any say over it or any control over it. So, are you trying to actually? you know, decipher what that thought is and how it came? Like, what, what is the process of reflecting on what, yeah. what just happened? Right. And, you know, because that can lead down a whole rabbit, yeah. rabbit hole, right? Like, yeah. oh, I thought this and that's related to that. And yeah. is it worthwhile to take the time and do that? Right. So, uh, again, I'll reference The Course in Miracles because that's been my basic, you know, my foundational spiritual practice over 40-some years. And that is immediately something, if I feel off in some way, and first recognize it by the way I feel. You know, if I feel uh, light and happy, you know, that's fine. I don't have to do anything. But if I start feeling uh, in any way less than that, disturbed, or even just a, a vague sense of something's not right, that kind of feeling, uh, then I begin to click immediately into the questions I ask myself and, and the statements I have in my mind already. And the primary one is, I'm never upset for the reason I think. So if I see something in the world or in my, even in my own mind uh, that I, I locate as something that's upsetting me, that's not really what's upsetting me. What's really upsetting me is something much deeper. And so that's why I can dismiss that surface thought immediately because it's not really that. It's something that I've uh, that I've unconsciously repressed in myself over the years. And so when I can allow, then if I get a time later where I'm not, you know, occupied with the outer world, I can sit down and I'll remember what that, I'll go back through what it was. And it's inevitably it always involves a decision I made at that moment that I wasn't aware of. So there's this sort of like decision maker in our mind that's constantly moment by moment by moment. And it's so quick, it's like nanoseconds. It's so fast and it's hard to catch it all the time. So, but we don't have to, it'll surface on its own. You don't have to do much about that. Um, but once I see what it, the decision I made, then I have choice. I can remain with that decision and still feel crappy, or I can make another decision. I can say, well, okay, that was, um, that was my separate self talking, or, you know, it actually sounds like a voice a lot of times in my mind. So I can say that was my separate self talking, or as the course calls it, the ego. Uh, or I can choose love. So it really boils down to choosing ego, which is fear, or love, which is the spirit. So that's kind of the process. If I'm out in the world doing things and I don't have time to sit down and, and to um, introspect, I'll just, on the fly, I'll just remember whatever I thought was upsetting me, that's not really it. 
So then that releases me, releases me temporarily from the moment, and I can go on. I don't have to try to figure out what it was that uh, upset me. And then later on, when I have time to sit down and meditate, to look within, then I can get more specific about what it was, what decision did I make back then. And then once I've discovered a decision, then I have a choice. I can choose love or I can choose fear. When you say uh, the decision I made back then, mm -hmm. do you mean the decision within that day when something happens? Or do you mean the decision that you made back in the past mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that led you to have that kind of the bubbling up right. within the day? Both. Okay. Uh, the, the surface one that comes up, the surface is usually some form of, it relates to usually something that's happening in my daily life, something right then and there. But deeper than that is something that happened, uh, could have been when I was three years old. You know, it could have been when I was, you know, there are birth traumas too that we don't, aren't always aware of and things like that. So, and if you um, uh, look at the possibility of past lives, who knows where it came from? You know? <laughs> 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 could have come from five past lives ago, you know? So you don't have to worry about that. Thank God. You don't have to go digging in there like art, you know, archaeology. You can just look at what surfaces as it surfaces, heal that through choosing love rather than fear. And then go about your business, and you'll feel better immediately. Once you choose, once I choose love, then I can feel better immediately. I don't have to wait around for some, you know, to discover what it was five lifetimes ago. And then if it's still there, if that didn't do it, it'll come up later, and I deal with it again. So I just come, you just deal with it moment by moment or day by day, you know. What's your motivation for choosing love? I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well I feel much better when I choose love than I choose fear. Uh, and my life flows much easier. I mean, I'm a lazy guy, so I like to have my life flow easily. And this is like learning there's a switch in my mind that I can flip. And, and sometimes it doesn't feel like I flipped it, but it did somewhere in there. I flipped that switch, and I went from a loving state into a fearful state. So when I get into a fearful state, things don't flow. I'm fighting, I'm forcing, I'm judging people, I'm judging myself, I'm judging circumstances. Uh, but once I flip that switch back, which I have the power and only I have the power to do that, no one else can do it for me and no one else can do it to me. Mm. Um, once I switch that, uh, flip that switch back to love, then things start flowing again. I feel much better. I feel lighter, I feel more whole, more inclusive. Um, and I like myself better. Yeah, that's my motivation basically. Is there something that happens internally where we prioritize what's most important to us and that is a crucial kind of element in our development? Yes, yes. And as, as our lives change, our priorities aren't really the same. Mm -hmm. So love, being in a state of love, for example, right. I mean, making the decision that that's the top shelf mm -hmm. of, of priority right. and being very clear on that. Yeah. And because I'm so clear on that, boom, that is able to dispel all of the other obstacles mm -hmm. because I remember, oh, I chose love to mm -hmm. be on the top shelf of priority. Right, exactly. Yeah, so for me, it was like um, learning that I have that switch, number one, and that, uh, you know, that I choose what's the most important to me in my life, what I value the most in my life. Uh, before, before that, I always thought that other things were more important than love because, you know, you have to have the money, you have to have this, uh, the success, you have to have the relationships that are right, you have to have um, a career that's you know, makes you happy and so on and so forth. All the things that we think in the world will make us happy, I thought those were the priority. Love was sort of, 
Yeah, you know, I, I, and the uh, paradox is I was always looking for love. Mm. <laughs> and uh, But I wouldn't admit it. You know, it's sort of like, no, what I really need is more money. What I really need is a better job. What I really need is a better girlfriend, you know. So, um, so those things for a long time were the most important things to me, at least to my surface self and part of me that I was aware of. Uh, but there came a time when I, when I, you know, combination of things happen. Um, things get really bad. Uh, and for me, it was sort of like uh, what, what they call an AA hitting the bottom. You know, you hit a bottom place that's so miserable and you don't see any way out. And then I reached a place where at that time I, I felt the only, the only place I could look for help wasn't outside. It had to be something in me. And then I realized that um, there must be a better way. You know, I'm just not, I'm not getting it. This is not working. I, I thought it was good. You know, I thought it was uh, making things work, but they all crumbled apart, fell apart. So at that moment, I said a little prayer, and it was the simplest prayer I'd ever said in my life, help. Mm. <laughs> God, help. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I've mm. tried everything I can think of. I've done everything I can do. And it's still not working. So it must be something I'm missing here in this equation. So please help me find out what that is. And not long after that, things started to change. I mean, it was a sincere ask. It wasn't just, uh, you know, God, if you help me, I'll, I'll, I'll be a better person. No, it wasn't anything like that. I didn't make any agreement. I didn't make any bargain with God. I just said, please, I, I was a helpless child. Help me. Mm -hmm. That's all I can ask for right now is I don't know what to ask for. I don't know how it could be provided. Just give me a hand. I need help here. And sure enough, in any sincere asking I've discovered since then, God, well, it's not like God's away and then he shows up. You know, it's not like that. What you discover is God's always been there. But we have to be willing to ask. Uh, the Course in Miracles says we need a little willingness to let go of what we think we need, what we think is the right thing to do, and let God direct us by, in my case, this inner voice that I can hear. And the inner voice for me is not the first one that speaks. It's mm -hmm. usually the still, uh, small, still voice in there that I have to calm down a bit to hear. The first voice is usually the ego's voice. You know, it'll tell me what to do every single time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it'll tell me the wrong things to do every single time. So that's what I, that was the basic thing I learned is that uh, ask for help. And, mm -hmm. and you don't, have to change anything. You just allow to accept and be willing for God to change things. Mm. That's the way I look at it now. That's that's really the moment, I think, as you said, when you genuinely ask for help, mm -hmm. that the the ego, the, that part of the thinking mind is dispelled. Mm -hmm. It's not there because you're saying you're not, you're not working anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's this opening, right. you know, that comes and then the, the still voice kind of behind, underneath, is able to arise. You're able to hear it. I'm able to hear it now much better than I did when I first started working mm. with this material, uh, the spiritual path. So um, you get better at hearing it because it's really a simple thing. You know, if you hear something that's taking you away from other people and, and things that are important in your life, that's not the real voice you want to be listening to. Mm. You want to listen to the voice that's peaceful gentle, encouraging, loving, supporting, and forgiving. That's what you 
at least in my life, that's what I listen for now more in my life. Used to be I'd listen more for the ego side, you know, how to get ahead, how to get on top, how to beat this other person to the, to the you know, the finish line or whatever. Um, that's what the voice that guided me for like 20 years, 20 plus years in my life. So, but then when that voice broke down and I saw that it was just leading me further and further into unreality, untruth, unlove, non-loving, uh, that's when, for me, the bottom fell out, fell out, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's the other thing I learned in this process is, is the worst thing that ever happens to me turns out always to be the best thing that ever happened to mm -hmm. me. I mean, it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird. It's like, how do you, how do you make something out of that? Like, mm -hmm. how do you, if you really believe that to be the case, how do you move forward mm -hmm. then? Because in looking at challenges and hardships, mm -hmm. Okay, that can be a great opportunity, mm -hmm. but the logical mind says, "Why would I ever want to go through a right. hardship?" That's right. Right. We wouldn't want. We wouldn't choose it. That you know, our our ego would never choose such a thing. You know, the ego would say, "No, no, thank. You. I want really fun stuff. You know, I really want a lot of good stuff to happen to me." And and that's fine. There's no, who doesn't? You know, but that's not really the way that it works in in terms of the ego's mind. Um, it's not that you deny what you feel. It's not like I was denying what I was feeling because I knew I needed help. You know, I was very clear about that. It's not that your our our everyday self wants to be in, in pain or wants to have hardship or obstacles in the way and stuff like that. It's not that you are asking for those things specifically. It's just that they show up, and especially when you're being led. When I was being led by my ego, they showed up a lot. Uh, almost everyone was an obstacle. You know, almost everything that happened was an obstacle. It was keeping me from what I thought I needed and wanted. So, um, uh, so you're not you're not a Pollyanna. You're not saying, well, you know, oh, good, you know, I got run over by a car. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, you won't say that at first because it doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel you know accurate, correct. So. So what happens for me is once I got run over by a car, I didn't literally, but let's say for you know an analogy, you get run over by a car, something really hits you hard and you're you know, hard to get up from. Um, you begin, once you take the uh, choice and you say, well, I have two, two ways of looking at this. I can look at it from the ego's eye, which is a total calamity, total destruction in my life, which brings me a certain set of feelings, a certain set of thoughts. So every time I choose the ego side, there's a package, like a package of thoughts that go with it, a package of feelings, a package of perceptions, and it's solely connected to the ego. And then if I say, no, I'm going to refuse that, I'm going to look over here at the Holy Spirit side or the, the truth side, um, there's a whole package of feelings. There's a mm -hmm. whole package of um, uh, thoughts. There's a whole package of circumstances that goes along with that too. They're like two different worlds. Mm -hmm. So people talk about parallel worlds. That's the parallel. We are in the parallel world right now as we sit here and speak because we have that choice. This world goes this way with the spirit or this world that goes this way with the ego, but they run parallel in our minds. So it's not until we choose that they show up. And like I said, the, the decision is happening so quickly that we don't always catch it and then it'll show up maybe a little bit later when things go wrong, you know, or don't work out. Or if we choose the spirit, when it does go right, and we do feel good. So the parallel worlds, you don't have to go searching for those. They're right here, right now. Do you think that 
um, our relationship with that ego fear-based world um, is, is important. Whether we see it as uh, kind of a bad thing, the enemy, or if we allow it to be okay also, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does that open us up to existing more in the spirit love world more if we instead of saying like okay there's this battle going on between these two worlds and one you know one is bad and one is good and i want to be with a good one instead if we say it's all okay Mm -hmm. but my goal is still to be in more of the spirit loving world does does that kind of perspective allow us to exist there more do you think uh that's a great question avi um that's really a, a, a real you know, uh, gut level experience of what we're talking about. Um, so when something happens that we don't like, let's just make it simple. When something happens that we don't like, we don't, we're not denying the experience. Like if something upsets me, I don't deny it. Mm. Now in the sixties and seventies, I took a lot of Esalen training stuff. And one of the things that back then was, um, uh, you express your anger. Yeah. You get it out. So I did a lot of encounter groups and things like that. And it felt really good, you know, to get it out. The only problem is they didn't teach us back then that once it's out, what to do next. Because once you've expressed it, it'll come back if you don't know how to deal with it constructively. So then you'll get angry again. And then, oh, that felt so good last time. I'm really going to get angry this time. (laughs) I'm really going to let it out. So, uh, So anyway, so that was my first... Because I carried a lot of anger when I was young, in my teens and, and uh, tw- early 20s. So it was really felt good to get it out. So then I learned after that, beyond the Esalen and beyond uh, the uh, New Age stuff back then, that we, um, when you express it, it sends it out into the universe, and then it multiplies, and then it comes back. And it can whap us from the back, like mm-hmm. kick us in the butt kind of thing. So rather than uh, express it out, just own it. That's all we have to do. We just say, I just say, for example, I'm really angry. Mm-hmm. I'm really upset. I don't have to say it to anyone. If I really get someone that I need to say it to, I say it to God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus in my case. So I will say, oh, God, I'm really angry here. You know, I'm really upset. Now, what I've learned over the years is to cut back and back and back how much I express it out in the world. Now, when I first started doing this, it was a lot, and then it got less, and then I beat a pillow, and then I beat a punching bag, and, and now I can look and just own it fully. Then I'm angry, and I don't have to do anything about it. It's not wrong. We're all going to get angry. I mean, that's just built in a human being. But I don't have to fight it. I don't have to get rid of it. I don't have to change it. I just have to accept it, own it, to be willing to have it. And then once I'm willing to have it, its grip begins to loosen. And I don't have to act on it. And that's been my, that's my savior right there because I, ha- I used to think I had to act on it every time I got angry in some way. So now I don't have to act on it. And if there is something to do, once I settle down and accept the, the healing within my mind, to be healed through making the correct decision at that moment. If there's something to be do to be done, and then I know exactly what it is. I'm given the answer. The answer is always here for everything. There's nothing we have to search for answers for. They're always right here, right now. But we have to breathe and just let it end. 
and accept it. And then that answer becomes clear. You do that, it works, everything turns out fine. Hmm. The word acceptance. I think, do you feel that, you know, does everyone yearn really to be accepted? And also, do all parts within us also yearn for that, right? Like our anger, our sadness, our, you know, our joyfulness. Do all aspects of us yearn to be accepted? And Mm -hmm. is acceptance really the path to love? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a step. It's not the destination, but it is a step. If we don't accept what's occurring around us and within us, then we can't get to the next step. Once you accept something, then you have to search a little bit to see what caused that in your own mind. What decision did I make to cause that way of seeing this that caused me to be in pain or hurt or upset? So, um, so the first step is just to be willing to have it. And that's why with the, um, I did a, I've done a series of uh, programs called Everything Comes to Us or Everything Comes to You. And the basis of that is that we literally could, I don't mean this, um, I should say, I don't mean this literally, but we could almost literally sit in our house 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not go anywhere, sit in a chair if it were possible, and everything that needs to come to us will come to our door. Everything. Now, here's the, here's the catch. The things that you think you don't want will come too. <laughs> you can't distinguish. You can't make a, you know, I'll, I'll just take the good things. It'd be like the UPS guy showing up at your door. I'll just take the good stuff from the UPS guy. You know, forget uh, <clears throat> FedEx. Never mind. I don't want FedEx. I want UPS. I'll just get that. doesn't quite work that way. But the beauty of it is that wherever you are, I'm not suggesting people sit down in their homes for 24 hours. It'd be a good experiment, but you don't have to. But just know wherever you are at any given moment, that's the perfect place to be for whatever's next for you in your life or my, in, me in my life. I'm sitting here now, and this is the perfect place for me uh, for things to show up that what? That need to be healed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm not going to run away from them uh, because they'll follow me wherever I go. So just like a little puppy that follows you around the house, um, whatever's unhealed in our lives will follow us wherever we go. So no matter where I sit, I sit down, I'm going to have everything I need to be healed. Whether I accept it or reject it is up to me, but it's going to show up. So um, the idea that I have to be in certain uh, special circumstances or situations in my life to heal or that I have to be in cert- certain special situations to uh, be loved or to love goes right out the window. There's no need to be in a special situation. If you are, that's fine. There's no need not to be in a special situation either. So it's not in any way, you're not in any way limiting what is. What is is what is no matter where you are. And what also is, is the healing process that we're in as human beings, as ego driven and ego-identified people in the world, we have a process that we're following. And the process always by moment, by moment, by moment, choice. Choice to choose love, choice to choose fear. And so when I got this in my fully, um, it relieved me of having to be in any certain circumstances or situations in my life to be happy, Mm -hmm. to be laughing, 
to have fun, to be joyful, and pain, suffering, <laughs> hardship, all come together. And then that's how they're healed. They can't be healed apart. They have to be. They have to come together to be healed, to join together to be healed. So it's we we don't. I don't. Uh, my intention is to let it all in, and that's why I say everything comes to me because everything does come to me, no matter where I'm sitting. I can be sitting over in Shivananda Hall. I could be in my home. I could be at the bank. I could be at the grocery store. It doesn't matter. Whatever needs to come to me will come to me at that point. It'll show up. And then I can accept it and heal it, or I can reject it and make it try to make it go away. And sometimes it's just, you know I can leave, I can run away or whatever, but it'll come back eventually. What goes around comes around, so it comes back around, and it just shows up worse next time. You know it gets bigger. <laughs> the monster gets bigger at the door if you don't answer it. Uh, so um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you view every day as an opportunity to do a bit more healing? Yeah, every moment. every moment. Every moment, every single moment. Time and space is not controlled by me. <clears throat> time and space is controlled ultimately, uh, well, ultimately, ultimately, which we don't have to worry at this level so much about. There is no time and space. I don't want to go too far into that. But let's just say we accept there is a time and space. So... Uh, the time and space has its own parallel universe. So if I'm in ego's time and space, there's certain things, packages of uh, thoughts, circumstances, situations, uh, people that will show up in my life. If I'm in the space and time of the Holy Spirit, then there's the same thing. There are certain uh, people, situations, thoughts, emotions, all showing up at the same, you know, in a package, so to speak. So it's sort of like picking two channels. So one channel is the ego's channel, W-E-G-O, and the other channel is the Holy Spirit's channel, W-G-O-D. So which one do I want to tune into? And one is love, and that's what I experience on that channel, and the other is fear, and that's what I experience on that channel. So I'm sitting right here at the door of it, you know, or at the tuner, and I can tune either way I want. Like I can flip that switch on or off God or Holy Spirit or ego, fear or love. So, uh, so I don't have to go anywhere in particular. Um, and, and I can go places, you know, it's not like I have to confine myself to any particular place, but if I find myself having to push and force to get to somewhere, then I have to back off and know that I'm pushing against something that isn't, uh, helping out here, you know? Mm -hmm. So I let go of that and just re, uh, go back in my mind and look mm -hmm. at what switch is being flipped here, mm -hmm. what channels being tuned into. Do you think it's important to positively reinforce ourselves when we spend uh, some time with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and love? Because uh, at least from my experience, the, the tendency is, is to really stick with and give more time to, you know, the things that go wrong, mm -hmm. right? You know, we mm -hmm. have relationships with 10 different people and nine of them are beautiful uh, and then the one is rocky and we're thinking about that one thing all the time. Right. Um, but if we take the time to reflect on all those positive relationships or, you know, just what is the role of kind of training ourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to reflect when, oh, I was really in a state of, of love there. Right. Uh, you know, I had a, a good reaction. Um, just doing that uh, opened the door to have more of them. Yes. Yeah. Every step is reinforced. 
So when I take a step towards the Holy Spirit or God, um, that step will be reinforced by how I feel. So when I step towards God, I feel better. If I also, if I step towards the ego, that also gets reinforced. And if I step toward the ego, I feel worse. Now there is a part of us. Now here's the, here's another thing that I learned <laughs> that was mind boggling. There's a part of me that wants to take the ego's route. It wants to suffer. It wants to be a victim. As a matter of fact, it wants to be the biggest victim in any situation. It'll fight for the victimhood and it'll, um, over, it'll try to override anything else. So let's say you and I were in a upset about something. I would, that part of myself, it ain't me, but it's a part of me that I believe in, uh, a thought that I believe in. Uh, that part of my thought would try to be the bigger victim mm. because that keeps me in control. As long as I can make you guilty mm. and I'm innocent as the biggest victim here, then I can control you. And vice versa. So there's always in two people fighting each other or two countries or two corporations. What It doesn't matter what. As long as there's a separation and a, and a sense of identity, separate identity, and they're confronting and fighting each other, one always, both will always be looking for who could be the biggest victim here. And in the case of, you know, the world, a lot of times the biggest victim wins the biggest, you know, settlement, right? right. So, so who's going to be the bigger victim? And uh, it's a competition between egos. Not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit mm. not looking for victim. It's taking us away from victim to innocence, to being everyone's innocent plus me, including mm. me. So it's not a matter of who's right or wrong with the Holy Spirit. Both are. It's either both are innocent or both are guilty. It's two different parallel universes. On the ego side, both are guilty, and one has to be act as if they were innocent. On the Holy Spirit side, both are innocent. And nobody has to act anything. It's just how it is. That's the given. That's the reality. So it's my choice. Do I want to take the victim side? And it's reinforced if I really want to take the victim side by me becoming a bigger and bigger victim. And the bigger the victim I become, the more it's reinforced. So if I can let go of it in a flash, in an instant, by flipping the switch in my mind from ego to Holy Spirit, tuning the tuner uh to the wavelength of uh, spirit or the ego, then if I choose the spirit, that can flat, that can go in an instant. It doesn't have to be continued, uh, continued, and and uh, and reinforced in that direction. It can be reinforced, and I feel better over here. I like mm -hmm. this side better. So if I can stay on this side, that's my motivation. That's my highest motivation because I really have learned the lesson that I'd rather be over here. <laughs> no matter what my ego is telling me, I'd really, I, you know, okay, thank you, ego, for telling me that and sharing that. But I'm going to go over this direction. This is where I'm going. It, it's not going to shut up the ego immediately, but at least now you have a choice. I have a choice. I can go left, ego's way in this case, or the right toward the Holy Spirit. My choice. And there's no, even if I choose the ego, it's not like that's bad. It's just at that moment, that's what I chose. Mm. So accept it. That's my choice. I'll stay here and suffer. Mm. I'll be the bigger victim here. So I like that. Yeah, I'll stay in a victim state until I get tired of it. And then, I, okay, I, I don't want it this anymore. I want to go, I want to find love again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you feel that laughter is connected with love and the Holy Spirit and that, that side of things. Ego can use laughter too. Okay. It's not like just laughter is for the Holy Spirit side or God side. Uh, ego can use laughter to separate. 
and this is the distinction I make when I do Laffa Yoga certifications especially, is that we can use laughter to heal and we can use laughter to hurt. Mm. So there is an ethics with laughter, uh, at least the way I teach it, There's, which I learned from Swami Satchidananda, um, that um, what we want to do is if I see myself, if I'm laughing and I see someone suffering from my laughter, I stop. Mm. I have complete control over that. I have complete control whether I laugh or don't. I see their suffering, I stop. I go off another way. I don't keep laughing. If uh, um, if my laughing is bringing them joy, I'll keep laughing it up. You know, mm. that's fine. But if in the moment it starts to, I can see someone not uh, enjoying the laughter, I quit. Even though I could keep going, I just stop because I I don't want to hurt people with laughter. I want to help people heal with laughter. I want to invite more people to laugh, invite more people, and allow them to experience permission to laugh, which means we have to breathe because <laughs> <laughs> laughter. You suck in air, yeah? It's like, it's a pranayama. It's just an easy form of pranayama, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you mentioned Swami Satchidananda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to him and integral yoga Mm -hmm. and what integral yoga means to you? Right. Uh, Yeah, so I came uh, to Yogaville in 1997. Uh, I didn't know anything about Yogaville. I didn't even know hardly anything about, um, we call him here, I call him sometimes uh, Sri Gurudev. He's my uh, teacher and uh, really my guru in that sense. So when I came here, I didn't know anything about either one. Yogaville, I didn't know that much about yoga. I had been in an ashram out in uh, California, uh, but it was a Vedanta out, uh, ashram. And Vedanta, um, in Vedanta, they don't, they, they really um, minimize the the body they they don't do anything uh to um encourage bodybuilding or and and part of that for them is hatha as well so they don't encourage people to do hatha or any kind of uh physical you know training or strengthening strengthening um and, and they don't put it down they just don't it's not part of their path so when i came here hatha was new i didn't know anything i've heard of it of course but i didn't know really that much about it <clears throat> So I came here. Uh, I liked the community. I came for a month in the light program just to see, check it out. My mom and I came up. We looked the place over and it looked pretty nice. You know, loved the Lotus. It was really great. Beautiful spot. Very holy uh, feelings down there. And uh, so, okay, I'll try the light program for a month, see what it's like. And lo and behold, here's this enlightened master. <laughs> it shows up. Everything comes to you. You know, here's an enlightened master. Shows up in my life. I had no clue about and the only thing I, I remembered him from was Woodstock. I remembered he was the the uh, uh, guru who opened up Woodstock uh, Music Festival. So that part I remembered, but nothing else. I didn't know anything more about him. Uh, so that was like, uh, I, you know, I was speechless. I, man, I, you know, I've heard of Enlightened Masters, but I never actually experienced one until I came here. And that was, blew me away. I... <laughs> Like I said, I didn't have words for the experience. I could look in his eyes, and they were like a like an. It's the universe. You look out into the stars. There's no end to it. It was like looking into his eyes directly. There's no end to it. Mm-hmm. It was like I was being drawn into these eyes. You know, it's like so. Um, so that was an experience that that woke me up in a lot of ways. It woke me up in a lot of ways. And then I had to go through my process here, which was at first, you know, fun and painful. 
sometimes more painful, painful than fun. But I knew I was growing. I could feel it. And I knew that it was good for me to be here. So, yeah, so, you know, I got to know him a bit at that time. He was here, and uh, he'd be away a lot of times. But when he showed up, I always show my respects and uh, devotion to him. So, yeah. And what is your definition of yoga? Uh, because, you know, I think many people have a very specific definition of what yoga is yeah. and maybe look at something like Lafa Yoga and say, oh, you know, that's not yoga. So I'd love to hear, you know, what do you see yeah. as, as yoga? Yeah, it's the same idea as uh, Vedanta. They say Hatha is not part of our path here, you know, and it's not really what you want to focus on. You want to focus on um, meditation and, and um, service and, you know, karma yoga and things like that. So every path has its own um, way of, um, you know, presenting truth, you might say, their own, their own uh, methods and practices. So uh, the only thing that, that helped me not the only thing, a, a big thing that helped me here with Lafio, because I figured, you know, laughter, that should that should go to every path. I mean, nobody that I've ever seen have been on any spiritual path that didn't laugh. You know? <laughs> and some of them laughed a lot. And so uh, how could that be out of anybody's path, really? I don't get it. So, But what happened uh, was that uh, Gurudev or Swami Satchinananda uh, supported Laffa Yoga. She, he was, yeah, I actually have pictures of him lying down with kids with his head on their belly and their head on his belly laughing, you know. So, um, and he always laughed a lot and he'd heard, I, I'd never heard anyone's laugh as crystal clear and joyous and deep as his. The closest it came to the, his laugh was my grandmother's. And that's what got me interested in laughing to begin with. So he was, he was this same kind of laugh but much bigger, you know, much broader, more depth to it. And um, so fortunately, he supported laughing yoga. And uh, so that's how that got started. And I um, decided I was going to teach it because The Course in Miracles also talks a lot about laughter. It equates laughter with the spirit. In other words, they sort of go together. So... Um, so that's how I began to lead sessions here every week, uh, starting in 1997, uh, leading people. And at first it was laughing meditation, which we just lay down and laugh for 15 minutes. Pretty cool. It was fantastic. And then one day I showed up and no one else came. And I was there by myself, you know, and I thought this was the flip of the switch thing. Now I have two choices here. I can just, you know, uh, close shop and go meditate normal meditation, or I can lie down on the floor by myself and laugh for 15 minutes. Hmm. Well, I am teaching this and, and guiding this, so maybe I should just try it myself. You know? <laughs> so I lay down on the floor, laughed for 15 minutes, and I felt so relieved. I felt so uh, free from everything I had been dealing with before I came into the session. You know? And uh, so I knew it worked. I knew if I could do it on my own and no one around, this works, if it worked, and it did work. So that's where I got that no matter who shows up, I'm going to be laughing for me. It's great if other people show up and want to laugh and, and enjoy it and join in, but if they don't, I'm still doing it for me. And that's freed me from having anyone show up or not. And the more the merrier. I love it when people show up, but I'm not dependent on people showing up for it. Mm -hmm. Why do you think laughter is contagious? 
Well, uh, I'm not sure ultimately, but I think any emotion is a vibration and laughter definitely is a form of energy and emotion. And so that uh, vibration is like, it's a resonance that people can pick up on. And uh, usually people will, uh, they hear laughter. I mean, not all the time. I can even hear laughter and go, I don't want to laugh right now, you know, something like that. <laughs> not often, and certainly not as much as I used to. But occasionally it'll happen that, I, you know, I'm just not in the mood or something. But then I can flip the switch. Then I remember, I don't have to be... What I call it is a non-laughing state. We can be in a laughing state or a non-laughing state. So my job in life is to stay in a laughing state. And uh, so it's a choice I have at any given moment, just like the other one, forgiveness or not forgiveness, love or fear. It's the same kind of choice. It's just a different, it's a variation of the theme. So um, so I can choose to laugh or not. And um, um, when I laugh or other people laugh, it kind of carries a vibration with it. And it hits me. And, I, and my laugh hits them, and it's back and forth, back and forth. So when we come into a room and we start laughing, it attracts attention because it hits us, just like any kind of vibration would hit us. Uh, if someone come in and started shouting, you know, we'd hear it, and it would hit us, and we would react, right? So it's the same thing with laughter. Laughter is a very powerful emotion, a form of emotion. You can express any kind of emotion through laughter, actually. So it kind of carries the emotion. And the emotion is what we pick up on. We feel that vibration, we feel that resonance, and then we're attracted to it or repulsed by it, basically. Uh, maybe everything's contagious mm. from that point of view, mm. right? Yeah, in a way. In a way. Yeah, if we're not inoculated. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yearn for uh, a world or an environment where people are taking this experience less seriously? The world, you mean being in the world? That like just being in the world, like everyday people life. around you, do you everyday life. Yes. Like, do you Less yearn seriously. for just more of a playful energy around you? Not really. Mm. No, I don't because I bring it. Mm. If I don't bring it, it doesn't matter whose joy is around me. You know, if I am not bringing that joy, if I'm not bringing the happiness, the laughter, the peace, then the whole world could be peaceful and I'd still not be enjoying it. So it's not like I go looking for situations like that or yearn for anything. It's just that uh, I've now learned that if I don't have it, <clears throat> then it doesn't do me any good if other people have it. Unless, now here's the thing, this is a great thing about laughing yoga, is that um, unless I'm open to that at that moment, you know, it's like uh, if I'm open to laughter, then yes, people around me laughing is going to help a lot. If I'm closed to it, it makes it worse for me. You know, that's the bringing the pain, pain to me kind of feeling, right? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, I don't yearn for anything like that, but um, I've learned to be a carrier of the virus. <laughs> the laughing virus. <laughs> mm. uh, and I wanted to ask you about, you know, kind of this idea of maybe – you know, faking it until you make it. Mm -hmm. People say yes. that, right? Like maybe you're not feeling yes. laughter, but you just say, okay, laugh. It's sort of like a flip-flop. I call it the flip-flop principle mm -hmm. where um, um, now this is based on medical science. It's not me making it up or someone else making it up. This is based on medical research and, and uh, the benefits of health, uh, laughter to our health. And what they discovered was that um, the body doesn't know the difference between what we call real and fake laughter, the body or the brain does not know the difference. So if it hears laughter, it doesn't 
jokes. Oh, that's just fake laughter. It just hears laughter. We add the fake part. Hmm. So uh, here's laughter, and if the body, again, the vibration, we react to it. So what they discovered is that if you pretend to laugh or fake laughter, uh, or I say go through the motions of laughter, the body still produces the same chemicals, the same um, reaction that it would as if it were real or if it's fake, it doesn't matter. So if it were real uh, or fake, it produces endorphins, I like to call them endorphins because they're a lot of fun. And they boost their mood. Endorphins are amazing chemicals. They boost their mood. They make us feel really good and they calm us down. So it'll produce that reaction, whether it's real or fake. So just going through the motions, just acting as if you were laughing, still makes you feel good if you're willing to. Now, if you don't want to do it and you're being feel like you're being forced, I've had people drag people into a laughter session. And I can tell they're not having fun because they didn't really agree to it. They just came because somebody else wanted them to or something, you know. Um, then, yeah, it can be painful to be about it, run, uh, around a bunch of people laughing. But uh, if you come willingly or at least just a little willingness just to see what it's like. I've had many, many, many people come up and say, you know, I wasn't so sure I would enjoy this, you know, when I first came. And at first I was kind of resistant and stuff. But, man, after a while I really got into it. <laughs> And they really enjoyed having a good laugh and uh, went away elevated. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think maybe it's the same even with exercise and a lot of different things. It's those yes. first few steps. Exactly. That's I think right. on, a, on a new path that mm -hmm. seemed to be the most challenging. Yeah. Right. And once yeah. we take it, we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, any practice, any discipline you're doing, if you can take those first two steps and make them as easy as possible for you to take, don't make them difficult. Like, for example, sometimes I'm in bed in the morning. Instead of getting up and meditating right away, I'll just lie in bed and I'll go, I should be up meditating. <laughs> oh, I can meditate right here. <laughs> and then sometimes I say, no, I'd rather be up. Because for me, for some reason, there is a little qualitative difference between lying in bed and being sitting up meditating. So I'll say, okay, I, should, I think I'd like to sit up. But I don't want to sit on the, uh, on the floor or on a pillow. Oh, I know. I'll, have, I'll get a chair and put it next to the bed. And I'll just go from the bed to the chair. <laughs> And I'll sit in the chair for a while, and then pretty soon I'm on the floor, and the next thing I'm doing hatha, and, the, you know, and my day started going great. So it's the little steps we can take to get us to where we want, not the giant leaps. You know? It's like uh, Neil Armstrong said, a small step for man, giant leap for mankind. So let's take those small steps for man, for ourselves, mm -hmm. as small as you can get them so that you keep taking them, so that nothing gets to be too big of an obstacle to engage in the practice. So for me, it's, it's from the bed to the chair, to the pillow, to the hatha mat, again, to the uh, pillow, and then out the door, you know, hmm. yeah. That's my easy steps. Yeah. <laughs> Easier, the better. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely, hmm. yeah. Uh, wanted to shift to gratitude. Yep. And I saw you quoted A Course, Course in Miracles, um, and it says, gratitude is a lesson hard to learn for those who look upon the world amiss. Mm -hmm. Amiss. Amiss. Yeah. Not yeah. a mess. I mean, I mean it is a mess, mess sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but a miss, yeah. Uh, can you explain that a little yes. bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in my conversations and in my own experience, when I especially talk to people about gratitude and look at my own life, uh, I always prior to a different understanding, I always felt like, what do I have to be grateful for? Like, you know, my car doesn't work. I don't make enough money. Um, my girlfriend's giving me a hard time. My job, I hate my job. You know, 
what on earth do I have to be grateful for in my life? So for a lot of people, uh, sometimes, and for some people all the time, they have a difficult time seeing anything in their lives that they can be grateful for. And I totally get it. I totally understand that because I've been there many times myself. So that moment I told you when I felt like the bottom fell out from under me, I had nothing to be grateful for at that moment. Nothing in my life was working. So how could I say that I'm grateful for this, what's occurred to me now in this breakdown? Well, here's what I learned, and that is that um, you don't have to be grateful for things that we're not grateful for. That is not something you need to do. And the more you think you should be grateful for something you're not grateful for, the worse it gets. So its first step is not to be grateful for it. The first step is just to be willing to experience it and have it. That's the first step. So that's hard for people because it, it, it sometimes, and that's what I think the Course is referring to, is um, it's hard to accept something that you're not grateful for, that we don't want, that we want to push away, not have in our lives, not experience. So the first step is just to take the little bit of willingness to just let it land, just own it. This is what's happening in my life. I'm not happy about it. I'm, you know, that's my experience. It's not bringing me joy. It's not, I'm not grateful for it, but that's what it is. This is the way it is right now, right here where I am. And then just let it be. Just breathe through it, breathe with it. I have a practice I call Lafayama. This is a fantastic practice to get to that first step. Would you like me to share it with you? Please, yeah. yeah. All right, you want to do it with me? Sure. All right, you don't have to close your eyes, but usually I'll have people close their eyes. Mm -hmm. You just, uh, uh, in, in uh, yoga, there's a practice. Yoga literally means joining or union. So we're going to join with our breath in this. We're going to join with laughter, and we're going to join with relaxation and peace. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, so take a deep inhale. And then on exhale, just a little giggle. <laughs> Again, deep inhale. Little giggle. <laughs> One more, deep inhale. Little giggle. <laughs> and relax and let the shoulders relax. So for me, this is an instantaneous shift of mood. It's an instantaneous way to get more oxygen into my body, into my brain. And uh, I can do this for five or 10 minutes and it just totally transformed my experience of whatever I'm going through at that time. So this is a practice that I recommend people do to get to the point where they can just own and accept and be with what they have. They don't have to like it. You don't have to like something to laugh with it. Mm -hmm. You can just let it be what it is, painful, upsetting, hurtful, whatever it might be. Take a deep breath and just ha, 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 ha. You know, it doesn't have to be a genuine laugh, like a real laugh or, you know, it could be something just a ha, 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 ha. Just the words, mm. ha, 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 is enough to get a shift moving of the energy to a more positive place. And uh, so I recommend people do that five or ten minutes in the morning. It really helps to get on uh, out of bed <laughs> or in bed, doesn't matter, uh, and start the day on a right uh, frame of mind. Yeah. What What came to me after that little experience there is is that laughter is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it just cleared cleared the way, like yeah. a little bit of that, and I didn't even realize that it just it kind of opened opened me up, and I can totally see how even being in a state of you know 
maybe unhappiness for the situation, then uh, it's almost always possible, I think, to find humor mm-hmm. is, is the point in, yep. in what's going on. Yep. You know, even something really challenging is happening to you. It's like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Laughing at it seems like a good idea mm-hmm. if, you, if you're able to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key if you're able to. And a lot of times I wasn't able to. You know, I couldn't see any humor in it. Uh, I couldn't see any any part of it that was funny, you know. Um, so that's why I'm saying you don't have to see the humor in it to benefit from it. You just have to add the humor, add the laughter, not even the humor, just the laughter. It doesn't have to be funny. Uh, and that begins subtly to shift the subtle vibrations in our mind and in our bodies toward a positive vibration, away from the negative vibration. And the little tiny steps that we take in that direction start to reinforce themselves. And we get pretty soon, I'm out of my bed, out of meditation, out of hatha, I'm out in the world doing stuff and forgotten the whole thing, you know? Mm. <laughs> right. It's patience, patience. also yes. a, a key. Yes. Because when we're not feeling so great, it seems like it's going to be permanent. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just, just tell yourself, wait, just just wait for it. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, like you're saying, it's like, oh, what was that? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. Because uh, there are two things the ego gets us on. Uh, if we have something really great, we're afraid it's going to leave. If we have something really bad, we're th- afraid it's going to stay there forever. So either way, we're going to lose with the ego. Mm. The ego is going to convince us that something isn't right. I'm going to lose what I got, which is really great. That's really going to be painful. Or I'm going to keep what I got, and that's really going to be painful for the rest of my life. Right? So there's no in-between with the ego. The, the Holy Spirit's thought system and the ego thought system are parallel, but they're not the same. They do not overlap. Mm. They do not overlap. There's no overlap. You're either one or the other at any given moment. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's basically how... Uh, one of, I used to be extremely serious when I was young. I mean, extremely. I can still get pretty serious, but um, that's how I went from this almost deadening seriousness to step by step by step, allowing more and more love into my life, more forgiveness. And here, the way the Course works with it is forget love. Forgiveness is love. You know, so people say, well, I can't love that person. Well, don't try. Just forgive them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually forgive someone, the love appears. There's, it's already been there anyway, mm-hmm. but it shows up. You're able to experience it when you forgive. So the Course gives us thousands probably of ways to, uh, if this way doesn't work, try this way. You know, mm-hmm. forgive them this way. If that doesn't work, forgive them this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no end to it. So um, there's no way we can't f- learn to forgive if we want to. There's always a step we can take, a small step that will mm-hmm. reinforce the bigger steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you have something else? Uh, sure. So with the yoga of gratitude, I just want to yeah. you know, um, finish that conversation a little bit. So with the yoga of gratitude, the idea is that we don't have to force ourselves to be grateful for things in life that we're not grateful for. So that would be untrue to ourselves. That would be saying... You know, if I got hit in the head, that it didn't hurt. <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt. You know, I'm I'm immortal spirit. That didn't hurt. No, that's not really the way it works. You I'll acknowledge, yes, it hurts. You know, on this level, it hurts. But yes, also there's another level that I may or may not be in touch with that I have to have faith to get to at first. I have to trust that there is this other level because sometimes when I first started out, I had no faith in any other level but this one, you know, Mm -hmm. the everyday ordinary uh, world and myself in it. 
Um, so at first, some people need a little trust, a little willingness to at least uh, entertain the possibility there's another way to see this uh, event or this experience. There's another realm that this uh, experience can point me to if I let it, if I allow it to. So that's what I'm grateful for, that this isn't the only realm. Mm -hmm. There's another realm that we can get to if we want to and we're willing to and open to it that takes us out of this fearful world, out of the fearful ego universe, and takes us, it's like a quantum leap. There's no in-between. Mm -hmm. It just shows up over here now. You're now in the Holy Spirit's world, the Holy Spirit's universe, where yes, it's still painful, but that's not you. That's not who you are. You're not the pain. You experience, we experience the pain. We're not the pain. Mm -hmm. We experience it. And who's the experiencer? It's the same question as who's the knower? We know things, but we're not the things we know. We are the knower of the things. So when we have pain or uncomfortableness or upset, we're not the upset, we're the knower of the upset. And that's different. The knower of the upset isn't the upset. So that gives us a little bit of room, a little bit of uh, uh, an ability to detach from that thing, whether it's pain or unhappiness, and allow us to relax back into who we really are. And the more we trust that process, the more we practice it, the more we end up in this Holy Spirit side of the universe. And that's where we start feeling peaceful and trusting and faithing, uh, faithful uh, in that world. Not in the ego world. The ego doesn't trust anything. It doesn't even trust itself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that. But the ego doesn't even trust itself, much less mm. anything else or anybody else. Mm. So, uh, so in order to even entertain the possibility that we could trust something bigger than us, higher than us, deeper than us, we have to have a little bit of trust to begin that process. And it sometimes needs to come from the outside. Most of the time it comes from the outside saying, look, look, Barry, Barata, Barry back then, Barata here, uh, come on over to my side, you know? It's okay, just a little step, come on, come on, come on. And at first, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust it. Come on, come on. I'm okay. We're okay. Come on over. And then eventually you hear it enough and you're willing to hear it enough. You take that little step and you know, yeah, geez, I feel a little better. I feel a lot better actually than I did when I was you know, going through that. So the more steps we take, the bigger that experience gets and the more we trust it. And it just builds on that, the reinforcement, it grows on that. And then something will happen, boom, that'll test that trust, that'll test that faith. Something happened we don't like. And it'll push us back. We'll flip back into the ego's universe and then back onto that one. And we go, oh, God, I don't like this so much. Okay, I remember that other was a little better, so maybe we'll try back over there. So it's just a constant process until that, that uh, trip from here to there can happen in an instant by a flip of the switch. Practice. Practice. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, willingness and practice. Because if you, you can practice all day long, if you're not willing to have that flip, mm. It ain't going to happen. And then you're going to make what I used to do was make everything else wrong. You know, like the, the book was wrong. You know, uh, the teacher was wrong. Uh, yoga is wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. I, I, I did that for a year. Nothing happened. <laughs> well, were you willing for anything to happen? No. <laughs> well, that's why it didn't happen. <laughs> but you don't need a lot. You just need a little tiny bit. So fortunately, most people can do that. You know, it's possible.